Hello everyone, this is Black Facts with Marvin Fan, where I bring you the truth in Black culture, Black wisdom, and Black justice. Sports historically has been used to provide forms of recreation and relatively harmless ways to let off steam, gain attention, and foster specific attitudes and behavior patterns among Blacks. From slavery to the present day, these purposes have remained unchanged. Sports were not perceived as avenues for the Black community to acquire wealth and income. In terms of an example of vertical business opportunities for the Black race, sports are second only to Black music, but only if Blacks perceive the industry with new eyes and seize the opportunity to gain more control of it. Now, unlike Black music, dance, and language art forms, American sports are culturally unique and were not produced by Blacks. Blacks were introduced to sports in America to benefit whites. Blacks did not invent boxing, basketball, baseball, or football, but they have dominated these particular sports. Blacks are attracted to sports for a great variety of reasons. First, sports, unlike music, represent opportunities for Black athletes to regain the humanity that slavery and Jim Crow stripped away. For many Black Americans, sports fill an emotional need and presents an opportunity to measure oneself against opponents, especially non-Black ones. And for a long time, sports were the only area in which a Black person was allowed to be a winner. During slavery, some competitive activities were regularly planned and others were spontaneous. Boxing, wrestling, horse racing, foot racing, wood cutting, and a variety of dance contests were very popular. Black slaves often created their own contests and betting on who could pick the most cotton or do the most work in a certain period of time. Saturday night sports contests between black slaves from different plantations were held routinely for fun and profit. They provided the slave the opportunity to demonstrate his physical prowess and permitted the white slaveholders to enjoy themselves and make more money. At the more popular events, whites placed large wages on the slaves of their choice and earned money from the contest. The activities were designed to promote blacks as uniquely endowed with physical attributes best managed by white overseers. Permitting blacks to engage in sports activities was also a major part of the conditioning process for not only did the black sports contests entertain and make money for whites, but free play activities effectively drained off the slaves' excess physical energies, thereby reducing the level of potential threat to the slave owners and overseers. Similarly, the sports events kept blacks preoccupied until they resumed work in the fields and factories. Slaveholders sometimes purposely 
over-involved slaves in sports activities so that they were happy to give up their temporary freedom and were anxious to return to routine chores. <clears throat> Cruel and abusive whites created sports that used blacks like footballs or ducks to entertain themselves and make money. Whites developed a game called coon hunting. The game was used to reinforce fear and discipline within blacks. Blacks could avoid being used in the games by making sure that they also obeyed whites. Now, in the coon game, blacks' extraordinary running abilities and endurance were pitted against white hunters' skill, white hunter skills. Whites joined the game with rifles and hunting dogs. Where we've seen or heard this before. A slave with whom a white owner was dissatisfied was covered with a scent and set free to run in the woods at night. The slaveholders released their hound dogs to track and tree the slave. Bets would be placed as to whose dog would catch the slave first. Once caught and treed, the slave was usually shot from the tree like a raccoon. And that was just, that's just sick. <clears throat> During the first few decades of the 20th century in Rosewood, Florida, a wild game of coon hunting lasted for as long as eight days with more than 100 blacks being killed. Nearly a century later, the caucus of black legislators in Florida successfully pushed through for the first time ever a monetary reparations bill for the survivors of the hunt. For blacks, there was a direct path from the cotton fields to the athletic fields. While a black person was despised for his color, most were respected for their endurance, strength, and athletic abilities. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? Blacks began to gain recognition in sports. One of the first was horse racing. And I've mentioned this before. As early as 1783, Count Francesco Del Verne, in a letter to his father, remarked that in North Carolina, young teenage blacks were jockeys and rode horse, horses bareback. Blacks groomed and cared for most of the plantation stables and developed a great deal of expertise in raising, training, and racing horses. By the later part of the 19th century, black jockeys dominated the horse racing industry. Jockeys such as Isaac Murphy had achieved preeminence in national races. He won the Kentucky Derby in 1884, 1890, and 1891. And you've never heard this guy before. Now say his name again, Isaac Murphy. Murphy also won the American Derby in 1884, 1885, 1886, and 1888. A lesser-known black jockey, Jimmy Lee, won all six of the races at Louisville in 1907. Within a couple of years, black jockeys' salaries had reached as high as $10,000 to $20,000 annually. Note that now. 1907. 1907. As high as ten dollars to $20,000 annually. 
Now, back in 1907, that was a ton of money to make, a ton. Noting that it was not appropriate for Blacks to earn such levels of wealth, the racing industry held accountable by the larger white community eventually removed all Blacks and replaced them with white and Hispanic jockeys. Now, how about that? How about that? The only public reminder that Blacks developed and once dominated the horse racing industry are the statues of Black lawn jockeys that years ago decorated lawns and guarded driveways across America. Now you know the reason behind Black lawn jockeys. Now, I never knew it before, but now you know why. As Blacks entered other sports, they quickly came to dominate them as well. The first Black boxer, Tom Mullenix, was a slave who was free because of his outstanding boxing skills. And one of the most famous Black boxers was Jack Johnson, whose boldness so inflamed white society that they sought a great white hope to remove him from the boxing ring. Joe Lewis dominated boxing for nearly two decades, and he too was challenged in the 1930s by a great white hope named Max Schmeling, a German boxer. But Joe Lewis, like nearly all black boxers and black athletes, finished his career impoverished. Few black athletes were successful in gaining access to to the management and promotional aspects of organized sports. And we'll be back in a second. Okay, and we're back. The black man's role in athletics was symbolized by the Harlem Globetrotters. Integration led to the demise of the all-black basketball league in the 1940s. Major league white basketball teams eventually hired a few of the black players on a quota basis. To salvage the black talent that was being wasted, Abe Saperstein signed the best players to be Harlem Globetrotters and showcased their antics and skills around the world. Just as the black music, just as with black music, people in different nations were excited by the physical dexterity of the black skinned players during the past 50 years. Individual black players moved beyond simply being paid as clowning athletes. However, the large share of the profits still went to whites involved in ownership and team management. Sports offer an opportunity for blacks to practice successful group economics and a chance to convert professional dominance and black consumer spending into wealth power. Blacks are prolific consumers of sports equipment and sports clothing, and they spend a sizable amount of money watching sports. Blacks make up approximately 80% of the professional boxers, 75% of the professional basketball players, 50% of the professional football players, I think that's a little higher now, probably 60%, and 40% of the baseball players, and that one's a little lower now, more like 20 to 30%. Very few blacks own any entities connected to the sports industry. More of the vertical wealth, employment, and entrepreneurial opportunities from sports-related businesses could accrue to Blacks if they challenged their many foreign businesses 
that manufacture and produce sports equipment and clothing. Blacks are heavy users of these consumer items. It is ironic that there are a few Koreans, Taiwanese, Chinese, or Japanese in professional American sports, and even fewer Asian spectators. Yet these groups are the major manufacturers of the athletic equipment and clothing that is sold in the United States. In effect, <clears throat> black athletes and black spectators are subsidizing businesses developing in other nations. And with the support of black spectators, black athletes could negotiate more than higher salaries. They could leverage their popularity and fan support to create structural business opportunities for blacks at all levels of the industry. Now, as a group, black athletes could negotiate for a percentage of the opportunities created by their team's purchase of sports equipment, marketing and promotions, stadium concessions, insurance coverage, players' pension programs, banking deposits, accounting, legal services, and stock sales, all of which would provide wealth to blacks seeking business opportunities in sports. The practice of group economics would give individual athletes leverage and open economic opportunities that would strengthen blacks as a group. Without the collective pressure of black athletes and spectators, the sports industry will have no incentive to alter its present practice of excluding black business persons. So in conclusion, <clears throat> vertical business opportunities like trees grow best when they have strong, deep roots from which to draw nourishment and support. Music and sports represent such business opportunities for blacks. For in these industries, black people's roots are indeed strong and deep. In addition, the raw resources are readily available. Missing are the capital, entrepreneurs, and the Black community's commitment to pursue economic empowerment by using its valuable resources for its own advantage and self-sufficiency. Now you know. Enough said. Thank you for listening. And be sure to check out the next episode and tell others about it. So until then, peace and God bless. In the name of Jesus, and I'm said.